Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 19. We are one away from number 20. We are two away from 21. Yeah, then we can legally drink, or the, the podcast right. can legally on this show, drink. Instead of all the illegal drinking we do on the show. That's right. That's right. My name is Arwen. This is Justin. I'm back. Welcome back, Justin. Good to have you back. Well, it might be brief, as you know. Yes, Th- yes. Things are afoot. So. Things are definitely afoot at the Circle K. Yeah. We will leave it at that. If you have a disappearance, we will miss you, but we understand. Let's jump right into the beer of the day. I want to talk about the La Trap Quadruple. As you remember from the last episode i believe it was we were talking about getting a beer from holland i think we've um, been talking about it longer ago than that <laughs> yeah yeah i think it might have been the, this the been episode before issue. so i've been on a search for a beer from holland we had a conversation with a listener debbie bregman who is board gaming mamasaurus on instagram check her out so she listens, she actually talks about the beers that we discuss with her husband, and I've been kind of on a quest to find a beer from Holland just to make her feel more included in the podcast, get a little bit more international flair to our beers, because we do tend to kind of have little local microbreweries in the U.S. and specifically our region of the Midwest. This was a difficult quest you gave yourself, though. It, so. it actually, well, it was and it wasn't. So I went to multiple <laughs> different beer stores in the area and I could not find anything. There's a couple of different retailers I looked at, uh, one that's actually specializing in craft beer, and they couldn't find anything. And like you find all these beers from Belgium, but not. Y- not yeah. The Netherlands. Yep, exactly. Belgium is like the hot spot, but the Netherlands is like, eh, we we've got Heineken. I'm like, I don't want Heineken. That feels like <laughs> cheating. So I did find La Trap and I found a online source for them. I was going to order them and I was getting ready for Americon and sorting through the beer fridge, which had a couple of things that had expired quite a while ago. Which which by our definition means really expired. Really expired. We're talking Because otherwise like, we'd give it a shot. Yeah, we're talking like a crawler that's two years old kind of thing, like super expired. And on the bottom of my fridge was a bottle of La Trap Quadruple. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So I I sent Justin a picture and a message right away. And I'm like, are you serious? This has been here the the entire time. The moral of the story is never try. Never try. Just go to your fridge and see what you got and then go from there. So it was there all along is really the true moral of the story. So we cracked it open during Americon. We had to try it. I mean, this magnificent discovery of ours and apparently i had had it before already so <laughs> it oh, was your rate was your rating consistent it was it was okay. um i think it's a solid quad i really love quads they're very complex have a lot of flavors going on i believe i've had quite a few quadruples on the show before this had uh you know a lot of banana going on even though i think it was maybe craig that had and no, it. as as Matthew, he didn't he that didn't was... think it tasted banana, and I'm like, oh no, the banana's there. Oh yeah, the banana. So I, I despise banana. Yes. So yes. it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't for me. There's a little bit of caramel going on. Too. Oh, there's other things going on, but banana was there, and therefore, nope. So it's like a lot of the quads, a lot going on. I like the the complex flavor profile, and it's not the best quad that I've ever had, but it, it was a solid offering. I gave it a 3.75, which is definitely above our average. Yeah, so I enjoyed it. Thought it was good. What about you, Justin? So we got a few beers that we tried that la- this last Sunday. Kind of did a little bit of a flight. I'm going to let you on a little secret. I'm probably a terrible beer reviewer if nobody's figured that out yet. So the more I like something, the less I remember it. So looking at my notes or my rankings from last Sunday, I think the best must have been Three Floyd's Apocalypse Cow. I do remember I finished it really quickly. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's all gone. That must have been great. 
Why? Because it was good. I don't know. It must have been the lactose. It it did say it had la- with lactose. With lactose added. And so it must have been that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, let's just add some lactose. Yeah, let's just throw lactose in and see what happens. And Somebody who knows what they're tasty. talking about would be like these idiots. They don't understand why the lactose is there. Also, Thunder Gun Express was up there. I think I gave him both a four and a quarter, which means if I see him, I'm going to buy him again. I know that maybe doesn't sound like very high out of five, but we both have very arbitrary ranking systems. We so. do. I will say I enjoyed the Thunder Gun Express as well. I bought it for the label. I'm not going to lie. Like, honestly, I bought it. As soon as I saw the name and the label, I said, this well, is killer. I Thunder need this. Gun Express is one of our favorite episodes of Philly. Oh, so. yep. Always sunny in Philadelphia. It's a fantastic episode. It was a solid, I believe that was an IPA, and I really enjoyed that as well. And again, you know, the label and the, the name of it, how could you go wrong? I should apologize here. This this chair got extra creaky this time around, so oh, good luck you. editing that stuff yeah. out. Thanks. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Uh, so we we did have Americon this past weekend. It was four days and what actually turned out to be five days of gaming on and off with different friend groups. Friend I got groups. A, yes. Un- units of yes. friends. Units. I got a ton out to the table. A lot of things to talk about. I'm going to run down the shelf of shame briefly, and I'm going to try not to stop on too many things. Yeah, let's because see how this goes. Good we want to We want to make sure that we uh, save some of these for future discussion topics. It was a really good time. While we didn't smoke, I was going to smoke <laughs> a uh, pork shoulder, and that wound up not working because my smoker kept tripping out uh, my GFCI, and so that was fantastic. So I just threw a pork shoulder in the oven at 225 that had been sitting in the fridge for two days basically dry aging and it was fantastic that was some of the best pork that i've had in a long time so i'd highly recommend having your smoker break and having to use the oven <laughs> having for to a do pork it shoulder. instead it, it, it was good uh you had enough left over first to have some sunday so mm-hmm. I'm surprised that there was any leftover because I I put a good hurting on it. You had a huge crew Saturday, if I we understand. we did we did yeah yeah a, a very large crew Saturday a decent crew uh, Friday night. Uh, you came over Sunday mm-hmm. all day, so we got to play quite a bit between us. Some games that aren't even listed that we won't even talk about, um, but. <laughs> I want to bring up on another episode. It was such a fun time, and it was so good bringing some friends back that I hadn't seen for a long time to the table and resuming gaming activities with them. I think that it was long overdue, and it was something that we had a, a fantastic time. I'm hoping everybody else had fun, but I certainly well, yeah, did. I, I, I'm certain everyone did. <laughs> they get to come over to your house and play games and eat your food. Eat the food that I prepared. The Shelf of Shame now sits at 160. Ooh. That is I mean, down nine from where it was. That's a long way from zero still, but that's quite impressive. I mean, you set the bar pretty low early on in this series, but... <laughs> at, at one time, it was up at 320, and to be down at 160 well, and yeah, look back is, is pretty awesome. 320 was a long time ago. What did we start the Cardboard Time podcast at? I want to say that we were up close to 200. Yeah, I think it was around that. Yeah. Probably so. should have started a nice even 200. You probably should have went out. Boy, if we could go back, you just go out and buy a few more games to even it out. That would have been a nice round number to start with. You wow. just buy more. Why not? Well, well start, let's start over. Yeah. Let's start the podcast over. Yep. I need to buy, uh, what, 40, 40 more, more games. games now 40 so that we games. can get back yep. up to 200? Yeah. Nice round numbers to start with. Well, there was one new addition, and that was the Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition card game. A lot of talk around this one, uh, mostly a lot of people that backed the Kickstarter, a little bit upset that the target version, which is a not necessarily inferior, but stripped down version of what the Kickstarter backers got, actually hit the shelves first. Wow. Uh, before mm-hmm. they got their Kickstarter. So 
there was a lot of people that were kind of downvoting it on Board Game Geek. Oh, that's that stinks. Well, it, the rating got down to about a five or a five two. Oh, I that, think I saw that's it. That's bad for BGG. Yeah, it's back up to a seven now. And it's a solid game. I feel that it's a nice cross kind of between terraforming Mars and a race for the galaxy with a action selection mechanic. So it's solid. I enjoyed it, played it solo. And that gets into the games that I did get to the table. I was going to ask more questions, but I'm like, nope. No. no, we got we got work to do. here. We got work to do. I did play 10 games. That was one of them. Book of Dragons was another one that I played solo. Small World was a game that everybody looked at me real weird when I said, I've never played this. And they're like, you've played how many games and never played Small World before? <laughs> I said that even. I had played the computer adaptation and not really enjoyed it. Same here. Some reason we did not like that at all. They're like, yeah, forget this. Yeah, exactly. Much different story on the table. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) Makes a lot more sense now. So I'd like to go back to the computer version of it and see just how it plays. Now that I know what's going on, basically. Mm -hmm. Cosmic Encounter is another game that everybody just looked at me like, how have you not played Cosmic Encounter? Uh, Tom Vassell's like number one game for years. And when I started in the hobby, I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta play this, you know, it's his number one and everything. And now I've kind of found out sometimes it's okay to have divergent interests from the the mainstream of well, You might have told you know, too much already. I you've been sitting on that one a long time though. I remember. We've always I talked about pulling it out. Well, we can't review it till I play it, right? No, I, I really I really do want to get you to play it because I want to okay. hear your thoughts on it. All right, good deal. Guardian's Call and Pictomania are two games that Justin and I played that we are going to talk about on this episode. And I also got out Oath of the Brotherhood. Uh, Lucky Luau was a game that we just talked about. Came in from Kickstarter not too long ago by mm-hmm. a local designer. Had a lot of fun with that. Want to get Justin up to speed on it because he has a copy as well. Yep, sitting on that one too. Poetry Slam was a fun party game. I'd like to get out to the table with you. It was very strange mechanics, but overall uh, very enjoyable. Would it, would it force me to enjoy poetry? Uh, no? No. Oh. No. Wait, but it's still fun. Well, but see, it is now I'm still wondering. Fun. Okay, well that's fine. Let's let's see how this goes. The last game on the list oh, this was is drum, drum roll. Drum I'm roll not gonna, I'm not gonna worthy. Like pretend to make drum roll noises. Twilight struggle. Ooh. That was one that was eluding me for the longest time because it just seemed so incredibly heavy and so just elusive. You're trying to figure out, oh my God, how am I going to learn this? How am I going to go through and and figure all this out? And it was much more straightforward than I thought it was going to be. This was kind of the surprise day of gaming. Our friend Craig and I basically sat down and cranked this out on uh, a Tuesday it's heavy, but it's it's good. There's a lot of things I shouldn't like, but I really like this one. I am a bit sad I wasn't the one to break it in with you, but at the same time, I know it would have been a whole day. <laughs> yes. I yeah. never seem to have those anymore. So I think now that I know what's going on, if you watched a video and I was there to teach you, we could probably get that out in, you know, <laughs> three or four hours. Three or four hours. <laughs> It, it is a three to five hour game, depending on how long it goes. They make no bones about it. They say, I think they say 120 to 180 on it. I would, li- I would like to see a, what a speed game of 120 minutes would be on that. Well, speedrun is just starting a nuclear war and <laughs> ending the game. Is that an option? It is. Oh, you can actually cool. start a nuclear war, and the person so that basically starts... Basically, ta- table flip is built into... <laughs> the, the person that starts a nuclear war loses. Oh, I like that. Okay. We if got we close. Only, we, if only we had that rule on the national stage, the person yeah. that starts a nuclear war loses. loses. Hey, you know what? That's the same rule they have in Dune. Yeah. It just it makes perfect sense, right? Yep, exactly. If you really want to get out of there... 
and you really just don't want to play anymore, you could always just say, I'm going to take the loss for this, and I'm just going to start, you know, nuclear war. Built-in table flip. Yeah. That's sweet. I like it. It's it's pretty cool. I am so glad that I got that off the shelf, because that's been taunting me for the longest time. Solid game. Can't wait to get it out with you, like, 10 years down the road when, you know, someday we have time. You know, and that's all we're going to say about that, apparently, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, too bad. That's, Don't want to uh, spoil it. And, yeah, that's all the time we got for today, I guess. So, show's yeah. over, folks. Bye. Show's, yeah, just, show's over. Just took too long talking about everything else. We're just kidding. Yeah, don't hang up. <laughs> Yeah, don't don't stop the podcast. All these people wondering what the hell this like, show's oh, an hour God, long. That was, that's, that was pretty quick. They've got to they got to keep talking. You know, we always keep talking, even when we hang up. Justin, let's talk about Guardians Call, which was right. released in 2019. It supports three to five players. 20 to 40 minutes is listed on the box, and I will heavily debate that. But we'll talk about that. We'll we'll talk about that in a minute. Designed by James Hudson. Artist is Noah Adelman, Lena Cassette, and Damien Mamoliti. Published by Druid City and Skybound Games. And in Guardians Call, players are guardians who are sworn to defend the realm by gathering weapons, shields, spells, and artifacts while bringing villagers to safety within the castle. To do that, each player is going to be gathering provisions at the start of their turn, then offering aid to another player. That player then decides if the offer is genuine or deceitful. If the player is correct in guessing, they will get to put those provisions in their tableau and gain the associated effects which can range from scoring opportunities to providing a pathway to powerful treasure cards, which can grant victory points and special abilities. If the player is incorrect, the offering player then gets the cards and the effects for themselves. There are two scoring phases, and the player with the highest score at the end of the second phase wins. So, Justin, what did you think about Guardian's Call? All right, so first off, the theme was kind of a loose fit. And even in this description, you're, it's reminding me, I'm like, yeah, it wasn't necessary. I mean, so be it, though. That's not always a necessity in games. The teach was a little difficult. I will maybe let you elaborate on that. Yeah. I, a lot of confusion until we actually saw it happen. So maybe the lesson there is show somebody how it's played rather than try to explain it to them. But. Yes, I would agree with that. I think the teach is a little bit easier for players who have experience in set collection, bluffing, and even then, I think you're going to get to it. There's e- still a even lot then of... if you don't see it, because to describe it as an offer or something like that implies that there's some negotiation and it's just a it, it's just a bluff. There's a lot of examples in the rules. I will give them that. But the examples don't cover everything Mm -hmm. as far as coins. Coins are given to players who are basically not getting cards. Like a consolation prize, which is kind of weird, but it Mm -hmm. helps the balance. But yeah. But none of those examples actually showed where those coins were going, which would have been nice because (laughs) that's a big part of the the game. That brings me into another issue I had is we ran into a lot of edge cases where we're like, how does this go down? And we couldn't find in the rules and some of them we couldn't find on the forums. It's like, yeah, this is... This is a little rough. So that, that, and I can't think of the specific examples. The coins was part of it, though. Although I think we got that clarified. It just took a long time yes. to, to yep. figure that out. But yeah, a lot of edge cases, which you wouldn't expect for something that's set collection and bluffing. But that's because, which the cool part of it is, is it's not just straight up set collection. Each of the suits I'd call them are, are different. They're not at all equal. You know, some of them are just points. Some of them are special abilities. Some of them you want to collect a lot, but not too much, you know, or you're wasting your time. It, it, there's a lot of variety there. So it, that was really interesting. I like that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I'm not generally good at bluffing games because I often have to sit there too long and formulate a lie, which is just an obvious tell in itself, right? You know, I'm just like, hold on a second while I lie to you. And it just doesn't work. For whatever reason, I found it way easier to bluff in this. I don't know. Um, maybe maybe that was just chance. I don't know. <laughs> but 
I can't tell you why. To the time to play, it took way longer than what we would have expected. I didn't think we timed it, but it was well over an hour. I think the time on the box would be if no one thinks about their offer or their bluff, they just already know it ahead of time and play it down there. Maybe you could get it done that quick. That's about it. I thought it was kind of unique. I haven't played a tremendous amount of bluffing games. And there's a lot of a lot of issues I had with it too. So let's see if you can mm-hmm. round that out for me with your much more intelligent assessment. <laughs> okay. First of all, as always with Druid City and Skybound, I really love the component quality. They always do a great job. I always know kind of what I'm getting into when I open up the box. Usually there's a great insert, which is the case with this. Everything fits nicely, everything's set up nicely. So no complaints there. I commend them once again for fantastic components. Art was fine, no no big deal. Like Justin said, I think the theme on it was okay. It was generic medieval kind of fantasy, whatever. Just, it didn't quite fit the mechanics, and I don't know. That bugs me sometimes. Yeah, I, I can see... <laughs> I don't know see, how you make it fit, but... Well, and I could see there there being another couple of themes that you could just slap on and say, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to do this with these cards. And I think it, it was fine for what it was. I didn't have a huge issue with it. I didn't think that it was overall great, though. I agree with the each card doing something different. That was nice and refreshing. That it wasn't mm-hmm. just straight up set collection. You had certain cards that gave you access to those more potent treasure cards, which had effects on them. Generally, if the effect was better for you, you had less victory points, but the effect was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them had really good victory points on them, but the effect was like everybody else gets something. They had wild cards, but the wilds were limited too, so that was kind of fun because mm-hmm. you had to you had to play them strategically. So yeah, it's it's it was a cool mix. Yeah, I, I really like that. And I also really appreciated the mechanic in there where you had uh, to place tokens of all the other players in front of you. And then as you gave an offer, you turned that token over. So you were not allowed to offer to the same player until you offer to everybody else. Yeah, kind of make it fair. And and then you couldn't just keep pounding the most gullible player or who knows what, right? Yeah. Which which would normally be my strategy. You know, it it, it now, just to to that point, our most honest player, who I'm pretty sure never bluffed never and once. never called anyone nope. on their bluff. Was not the winner, but was a close second. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I don't know what that means. Maybe we're doing it wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know. Maybe it's showing that being truthful actually might pay off somewhat. Not as much as lying, apparently. Maybe. Um, Because she still plays second, but still. She still did very, very good. She did far better than either of us. (laughs) Oh, no kidding. My score was a dumpster fire on it. Yeah. We didn't really have an idea of who had the most victory points during the game, which I always appreciate. One of my favorite games, of which is Concordia, you never know who's winning the game until the end. Like, you might have somewhat of a sense, and you, you probably feel like it's not you. That was cool. It was cool not to, to really know that. We only got through two cycles of offers on a five-player game, and that second cycle was actually partial. Uh, not all of us got to make a, a full cycle of, of the two offers. So so, so I, could, I could say it ended too quick, like I usually do, but at the same time, that was kind of a long game for what it, it was. was. It was for what it was. I will definitely agree with that. I have to bring this up because I can't not bring it up after I've played it. The obvious inevitable comparison is Sheriff of Nottingham. And I know that it's said that maybe the bluffing mechanic's a little bit different in this, but at the end of the day, the bluffing mechanic in this was, yes, I agree, or no, I don't. That was the decision point. Maybe that's why I could do it so much better. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So Sheriff of Nottingham... I had a much easier teach for less experienced gamers and for more experienced gamers. I mean, that game comes to the table quick with people mm-hmm. who have experience. Uh, 
Now, it's been ages since I played that, so I can't compare very well because I barely remember it. But obviously, I need to play it some more. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really good. I will give it the caveat that that game does play better with people who are into the roles, who are willing to maybe RP a little bit more and, and kind of bring up their character game a little bit, which this, you did not need to do that. No, so No, this is just poker face and just play it as yep. flat as you can. Yep, as flat as you can, yes or no. You know, are you going to accept it or not? The bluffing mechanisms in Sheriff of Nottingham I found more interesting because you're able to offer incentives to the other player to say, you should let this go. Come on, here here's a couple coins. It gives you some more options and it adds a little bit more confusion of, is this person really bluffing me or not? Which it just felt better to me and i can't explain why and i apologize for not being able to explain why we need to go play it and follow up yeah we probably should because i'll play a game of that anytime yeah but ultimately in this again the decisions to me felt like they were yes i believe you or no i don't and it was a binary decision of you, you had a couple of things spicing that up with some player abilities that some people wanted certain cards more than others. And you could see some of the cards that people were taking, but ultimately it was yes or no. Yeah. It didn't feel like it had that kind of zest or, you know, that... Too too dry. Yeah, that spiciness that, that Sheriff of Nottingham had. So for me, it was... It, that's a good way of putting it. It was, it was almost a little bit too dry. So for my final judgment, I thought it was an okay game. I didn't hate it. But again, at the end of the day, the set collection and bluffing elements really didn't feel different enough from Sheriff of Nottingham or, you know, they, they didn't have enough of a twist that I need to have both on my shelf. I wouldn't discourage people from going and checking out this game, but it doesn't need to stay on my shelf. And therefore, it's leaving the collection for me. Yeah, I, I ended it having a good time, but then also looked at the time and said, ooh, that took a while, you mm -hmm. know, and that, that's it. That was Guardian's Call. All right. So the other game that we got to play, one of the other games, but the game that actually made it off of your shelf of shame was Pictomania from 2011. Uh, this is for three to six players, designed by Vlada Vladivatil. Thank you. It's spelled mm -hmm. out right there for me. Anyway. Yes. The artist is Andreas Reach, published by CGE. And in Pictomania, it's a drawing game. Everyone is both drawing and guessing at the same time, which is where this gets really fun. At the start of each round, six random cards are chosen and set up on the racks visible to all players. Each card has seven related words on them. And then players get two cards to determine which card they're and then which number on which card they're drawing from to randomize what each person is drawing. So you start drawing at the same time after looking at your cards and you're kind of simultaneously drawing and looking at other players, if you can pull that off, which I wasn't able to. No. <laughs> and try to guess what they're drawing while you're completing your drawing. The reason for doing so is that faster you guess theirs, the more points you get. Faster you finish guessing and drawing, you can grab bonus speed points by being the first one to finish your turn. So then everything's scored based on how well you've guessed, how fast you've guessed, and then how well others guessed your drawing. That's kind of the gist of it. The too long didn't read as you draw and guess simultaneously. You effectively start out with negative points that you get rid of by drawing yours well, so people guess yours, and then you get bonus points by guessing properly and quickly. So what do you think? I first got to start by saying Vlada's diversity in the games that he designs is just magnificent. I mean, this man designed code names and this game and also the two heaviest games in my collection, Mage Knight and Through the Ages. <laughs> wow. It, well, two of, not necessarily the two, but two of the heaviest games. And it, it just astounds me. Like It's, a, it's an amazing skill set. 
Yeah, yeah. Normally, it would be one or the other. Either you're going to design something super heavy, or you're going to design a bunch of super light games. And or so can, we so we assume, not being designers. But. Very true. He's able to do both, and it's it's awesome. I give him a lot of credit for that. To this game, the fact that there is an incentive to rush to finish so that you can get to guessing, because I wasn't able to guess and draw at the same time. No, um, nor a, here. Or, or draw for that matter. Um, <laughs> but there's also a disincentive due to the negative point potential. It's just such a wild game. There's conflicting incentives. Like, do I, do I just go and rush and hope that people know what I'm talking about? Because the card that I'm drawing from, everything that's on there is related. Yeah, that's the, th the key point, is it's a list of similar things. And there are different levels of difficulty, there are. by the way. And we looked at the top difficulty cards. Oh my gosh, that looks <laughs> brutal. We started at one. Yes. It goes up to four. We had a hard enough time at one, or at least I did. Um, <laughs> God, I, Oh, I, we had a hard time too, guessing what you were drawing. Yeah, I'm completely terrible at drawing. S so bad. I am so bad. I, I would so look bad at your drawing and I'm like... God damn it. I know three things this could be. <laughs> I'm just mad at you looking we, at it. We've been friends for a long time. And I used to work with your wife when I was down in Gadsden. Mm -hmm. And we had a games or uh, what was it? Drawing with friends I think it was or draw with friends or something. draw with yeah. friends. And she would put together these drawings that I was able to see and recognize and be good with. That was uh, like so easy. I was able to get everything. And then I'd send her something. And she would actually send me angry texts back, basically saying, Arwen, what the hell are you drawing here? Like, this is this is absurd. You broke our streak again. Again. Because I can't guess what your horrible drawing is. Yeah. So I, I would, just re I, I just yeah. reveled in it personally. But she would get hey, quite mad and you, never played with you again. Yeah. She, she actively stopped playing. Um... <laughs> Despite that, I still had a great time with this game. It's just such a fun experience. It's light, it's clean, and, and it's it's very well put together, the fact that you can draw and guess at the same time. You know, if you suck at drawing and you're willing to take negative points, you can just put something down and hope for the best and just really focus on guessing which is probably what I should have done. I shouldn't have even tried. Just put a couple of lines down and said, okay, here's mine. I'm going to guess yours. It's interpretive. I will say that the box is too big for the game. It's a very large box. There's a lot of empty space in there, which apparently was fixed in the second edition from what I saw that came out in 2018. This definitely has that early 2010s vibe to it where, you know, they, they made a nice insert, everything fits well, but God, there's so much extra space that could be condensed down so and and then the last thing was Allie going and asking the question <laughs> is is this a six or a nine that's on this card when the cards only go oh to God. seven and you're supposed to keep your damn number secret <laughs> yes yeah she's like is this a six or a nine i'm like there's no nine there's there's absolutely no nine to guess whatsoever she had been through a lot of gaming in it was a long you know, day. That's it, that's it that's hard. Day. That's hard for our SOs. Yeah. To, for to sure. put up with as much gaming for as sure. we do. But I I got a kick out of that. So Oh, that was yeah, we had so yeah, we had a blast playing this game. Uh, I mean, we were red in the face sometimes. And and this is all without like resorting to juvenile crude toilet humor, right? Mm -hmm. That usually is what these kind of games devolve into. For, for us at least. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yeah, again, good and clean, as you said, just good, wholesome game. And we had a blast just because the mechanics force you to rush and make subpar decisions, you know, um, it just kept it really exciting. And, and I think took the edge away from like favoring like the best artist, you know, that's, uh, it's kind of inevitable in some of these games. Mm -hmm. um, so, oh, we had so much fun. 
I will say there's a bit of an English language dependency, especially when those cards get so, you know, they're categorized, the items are very similar. Non-native speakers are gonna, you know, struggle a little bit with uh, the nuances, especially when you get up above level one. I don't know, I feel like we should get it out again and try tier four and see how we manage. Maybe not with you though, oh my gosh. Why not with me? <laughs> it would be a dumpster fire in the best way possible. It would be, but oh, I'd, I'd probably get so angry. I'm already getting angry thinking about it. Oh, I just get so angry at your drawings. They're, just, they're maddening. Well, they're they're terrible, but I think that's what provided a lot of the fun. It was part of the fun, yes, at your expense, but also also maddening. And and also my fun was at your expense because you couldn't guess what the hell I was drawing, <laughs> and not, while I was taking negative point. points, you guys weren't getting them either. So yeah, yeah. No, for for our final judgment for this, I had such a blast with this one. I, I really, really enjoyed it, and it isn't going anywhere. I will say that if I can get the second edition, I'm going to look at that a little bit more. Uh, if I can come across it, I may just get that to conserve shelf space. Because when you have 700 games, that, That's important. that becomes very critical. Yeah, that That is important that has to sit next to my copy of uh, PBL or PBR robots that hasn't been played, <laughs> which is also something that we have to do. And we do have to do that. So this was this was pretty awesome. This is probably the most fun I've had with the drawing game. I, yeah. I'll ha we'll ha wait and see what can top this. Yeah, and not one that I hear a lot about. I picked it up kind of on a whim, and nobody talks about it, but mm -hmm. boy, was this fun. Yeah. I, you know, and I think I'll, I'll tell you what I blame on it. That early 2000s vibe on the box. It looks like, oh, yeah. here's another drawing game. I don't care. Right there. Now, I don't know how you fix that. It's just the box art. This makes me think like, eh, I've seen boxes like this before. It doesn't pull me in. But yeah. there's a lot of fun in that box. Oh, there absolutely is. Definitely something that I think we both recommend. Pictomania. Mm -hmm. Well, stay tuned because we have our listener mailbag making a return. So we're back with our listener mailbag. And we got a couple of questions from our friend Matt Phillips, Philbeert84 on Instagram. We'll see if we get to both of them here. Because <laughs> we, we did talk a long time about 10 games that we weren't going to talk about today. And, and the responses to these might be a little bit long because we're both kind of passionate about the subject material. Yes. So question one, the big question is, would Origins Game Fair be worth attending as a casual gamer? Do you want the short answer or the long answer? The short answer is absolutely. The The yes. long answer is about 12 bullet points of... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, okay. Nobody wants to... If anybody's listening to us, they didn't want the short answer. Yes, yes, so exactly. Now, we never get the, the question, short answer. The question I'm going to throw back is... Do you want to leave as a casual gamer? That's the trick. Mm -hmm. So, yes, you should go. It's it's a blast. But I I don't think you're going to get yourself any further from the hobby if, if it's only a hobby for you. So Origins will draw you in if you are a casual gamer. I think it's, it's one of the friendliest conventions that I've been to, you know, as far as from a welcoming casual gamer standpoint. Most vendors have a lot of things going on that will welcome you in, and I'll talk about those in a minute. For those who don't know, Origins Game Fair is the uh, last weekend in September this year. Uh, normally it's in mid-June, so hopefully a little bit cooler than it normally is. We'll actually want to get outside and enjoy some of the weather as opposed to sweltering heat. Yeah, unless it's, you know, like just drizzly cold and rainy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, you know, those are the risks you take. It's a gaming expo in Columbus, Ohio, where publishers go and display their newest products. Oftentimes, you can sit down to completely full demos. And that's probably the number one activity, at least for me, is just go and do all the demos you can. You'll mm -hmm. learn if you like a game, at least maybe how to play it. The publisher will have their game just set up and have a couple of tables ready to go. And you sit down, they teach it to you, you play it at least for a few rounds, if not the full thing. 
you know, walk around, you find an empty table or you got something you really want to play. You sit and wait in line for maybe 10, 15 minutes if you really got to get it, you know, and heck, that's worth it to get somebody to teach me a game. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and to and to make up my mind if I'm, you know, buying it or not, because, geez, we're, we, we leave, you know, certainly not empty handed each time. <laughs> $500 poorer, at least. Um, uh, well, yeah, not. I'm not as bad as you, but... Yeah, that's true. I live vicariously. I think, last, I think last time was 300 but also I had a lot of dealings at the flea market, which I'll talk about in a minute. When you can't get those demos, especially for your longer, more involved, like hour and a half, two hour games, a lot of publishers will offer sessions that will be teach and playthroughs, just offered through generics, they're called. And they're $2 tokens that you can buy. You pay a certain amount of them, one or two, and you will sit at a table with other people who have paid to do this and just play through the game. So they'll teach you from beginning to end and you'll just sit, play the game. You'll know how to play when you leave. So that's a really good way of experiencing those games that you really want to sit down and have a full playthrough before you buy them. I will give a tip that voting in the Origins Awards can mm -hmm. actually get you a free generic token to begin with. So you can get in early, do the voting, and then uh, you got a free generic token that you can play with and basically walk up and say, hey, I want to learn this game. I'm not sure how the setup's going to be this year. It might be a little bit different with COVID. That has yet to be seen. It probably I, will be a little bit different. I know than they year. mentioned some, at least spacing out or something, but I don't know what that's going to look like. I think they said early on that masks were going to be required. I don't know if that's going to be the case at all, whether yeah. they're going to adhere to that or not. It's probably wise in anything that tightly packed. So, yeah. I would agree. Thursday is normally the least crowded and your best opportunity to get the hottest new games that are on offer. A lot of people will line up a little bit early. I don't know what the new hotness is going to be this year. In the past three years that Justin and I have been there, it's been the Century Games. Mm -hmm. um, with the last year actually being Century New World and getting a signed copy by Emerson Matsuchi. That's right. Which was awesome. We saw a few uh, big celebrities when we were there. Yeah, Rodney Smith um, yeah. was one of them. I got my picture with him, too. Yeah, Thursday is usually the least crowded if you want to avoid crowds. Some vendors are still getting set up and won't have a full offering on Thursday, but that's kind of the day that you're going to go if you want to avoid those crowds. Saturday is definitely the most crowded. Just mm. about any convention, it's going to be it's going to be Saturday being the most crowded. And then Sunday is normally your best deal day. So vendors are going and saying, hey, I don't want to go home with all this inventory. I'm going to give some deals and hopefully not have to pack as many games back into the truck at the end of this. So it depends on really what you want to do, you know, whether you're looking for those hot deals or whether you're looking to get the newest stuff really up to you. Again, I go back to, I think playthroughs are the number one thing. We, for, I don't know how many us, dozens yes. of games we got yeah. played. Oh, absolutely. You can do the con in a day, but you will kind of rush. You won't get a lot of those playthroughs done. That's why... I think both of us would recommend at least two mm -hmm. because you're, you're going to want to sit down. You're going to want to do demos. Uh, you're going to see something set up that catches your eye. You're going to sit down at the table. 45 minutes goes by. Oh, I've got to get to all these other booths before they close. And then inevitably you got to think about it. It's like, oh, do I buy this now? And then you got to sleep on it. You're like, yeah, yeah, I got to buy it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Arwen's got to buy this game. Yeah. Yeah. I got I got to convince her to buy it. That's yeah. that's what you do. Yeah. Well, it's not hard. <laughs> no, it's not. Because usually I've got that in my head and I just need a little prodding. You just need a little devil on your shoulder. Deals throughout the convention are definitely spotty. Some publishers are strict MSRP. Others will have some fantastic deals. 
I've gotten some games as low as a dollar before. Just publishers looking to clear out their older stuff and you get to pick up some some fantastic deals, but they are a bit spotty. You do have to look for them. I will also say that there's a coupon book. If you're gonna go, make sure you look through that, see what those deals are, get your free glass over at Barley's. Mm, that's um, the one, yep. Get that early. Really nice pint glass, you get that for free by stopping in and grabbing a beer meal from them. So that's kind of a tradition that we have. Do your research beforehand. So Board Game Geek actually has a convention guide that they put together that will show what publishers are going to be there, what they're showing off, what games they're coming out with. Do your research, see what's out there, see what is pertinent to your interests, and then make a plan. So just say, these are the ones I'm absolutely going to get to. Now, I think one advantage perhaps this year, too, is what's what's the name of that other con? Gen Con. Uh, Well, has that already happened or at least it's before this one? They didn't push it back. Gen Con is going to happen in uh, mid-September, I believe, a couple of weeks before Origins. Okay. Usually Origins is before Gen Con and some of the publishers will hold back on their big releases until then. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you can get a sneak peek. So there's that's one downside. This year you won't have that. So there you go. You'll get to see all that new stuff that's just almost sparkling new that's already been released. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's going to be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. We did we did get a little bit of disappointment there when we'd be, they'd be like, no, nope, sorry, we're not selling that one yet. It's like, oh, yep. come on. You, you can play it, but we're not going to sell it to you. Yep. The flea market through Board Game Geek is a great way of getting some older games if you want some really good deals. There is a flea market that gets put together every year. There's a location called the Math Trade that is just basically a large gathering of people, which sounds like a really bad idea now, but whatever. The whole convention is a large gathering of people. The whole convention is a large gathering of people. It is something that you can get some really, really good deals on older games that you've been wanting to play or that you've had your eye on or you've tried on tabletop simulator and said yep i need this go on there take a look you can get those you can get some games that are out of print that people really don't have a home for anymore they want to get rid of them you can wind up getting some of those more rare games at the uh, flea market as well so that's definitely something that i check out every year and usually sell some stuff through so if anything that we've reviewed that i've basically said this isn't gonna stay on the shelf you might be able to get it from me pretty cheap just to plug not, there. not after not after the way you reviewed it yeah exactly everybody's like i don't want here, that here, yeah here you are you just talked all these games down there and you're gonna sell them for a buck good luck yeah good luck getting them off your hands mm-hmm. a rio grand have an absolute killer booth every single year they have a ton of promos at their booth they have a ton of their games set up whether it's from dominion you know Dominion's roll for the galaxy <laughs> dominions yep they yeah, they'll have they multiple have all versions of, of it out yeah Roll for the Galaxy, Race for the Galaxy, New Frontiers, Concordia, basically all of their offerings on display there. I think if I don't get to it beforehand, I really want to get Beyond the Sun, I think, is one of theirs. That's a great way to experience it and see if that's something I need because they also have teachers that will come around and teach you how to play, and they (laughs) they just walk around the tables. It's it's a big area with everything and and yeah again playthroughs and demos and promos and sometimes more importantly than anything is snacks they will actually have small uh snacks and drinks out that is true though for me promos are above snacks (laughs) yes we we have a lot of rio grande promos because we've spent a significant amount of time in that booth um don't want to miss that that's a that's a really good one. So that said, don't forget all the what I consider usual reasons to go to a con, which is local food, local beer, and excuse to play more games after hours with friends. Yep. Or or strangers in some cases. I've made a decent amount of friends just going to conventions and sitting down at the table with people that I've wound up chatting with and really like and we just kind of exchange information. You never know who you're going to meet at these things. Like Justin said, Columbus has some fantastic 
food. I can make some recommendations if you're looking for more. I, I don't remember what they are. I just follow you. North Market is the easy one. That's a, an area enclosed building that has a bunch of little stalls that's right by the convention center. They have a bunch of different types of food. Ringside for burgers. There's a couple of different really good burger places, but I really, really like Ringside. And Tip Top also for some comfort food within walking distance. A short walk can avoid the large crowds. So you're gonna see mm -hmm. a lot of large crowds, or at least in previous years, there's a lot of large crowds around Origins. And if you walk a couple of blocks, you'll be amazed at how much those crowds die down. And there's still plenty of options out there. Oh, and, you know, and I remember yeah. Ringside now. That is a treat. That was a small place, but yeah, that was some good food and quite an experience. Kind of a dive. But yes, but in a, in a very good way. It quaint. is. It is. Yeah. It's, it's quaint. That's a great term for it. I think that's a good place to wrap this up. You know, one of, one of the things I thought about was maybe you want to meet up for some drinks or just play some games, get a hold of us. I know that I'm going to be there. Justin might be there. I'm We're not sure yet. <laughs> He's just up in the air with everything right now. We're thinking, see what happens. Maybe meet up with some people who listen to the show and you know, maybe get some games out. So that would be really cool. So I, I, I don't think we got time for question two. We'll table that one and we'll have Phil Beert on uh, another episode. Yeah, exactly. Cardboard Time episode 20, maybe. Yeah, it, it yeah. might be a good topic for that. Yeah. Suspense. We're not telling you what the question is. Yeah, exactly. You're going to have to tune in to find out. Without further ado, the standard call to action. Check out our Facebook page. Our Instagram and Twitter is at cardboard underscore time. I've also got a Instagram at jphomer98. And I actually have content after many months. I'm trying Whoa. to... Yeah, I am trying. So here's the thing. I took me a year and a half to build the giant Lego Millennium Falcon. And I was very poor about posting any of that. But now I'm going to take it apart and post that. How exciting, right? We'll you see. Could, I don't know. It could be just like, hey, look, it gets smaller. <laughs> but it, it might it, not. It just lost a section. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, look, at, look at that. It's, it's, it's a naked skeleton now. Excitement. But I'm, I'm hoping to kind of expound on what I really enjoyed about putting it together. We'll see if I remember. Yeah. And then, and then maybe I'll build it again. Well, hopefully it brings back memories for you yes, as, as yes. you're kind of taking it apart. I, I would like to do a speed build of it. I don't know when I would ever have time for that because it probably would be like a two-day event. Do you like time it so that you go through and you have, have you have like the thing where they have the Rubik's Cube where you touch the thing and then start I, building it? I don't know yet. I, I don't know yet. We'll have to see how official I want to make it. I'm kind of scared, though, because I looked up like record times for that build, and it was like teams of three taking like eight hours to build it. So I'm like, uh oh, oh. yeah, I don't, I don't know. OK, so. that's that's pretty that's, that's quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, I might that this may never happen. I shouldn't yeah. have even brought it up. Probably. Do they have Lego building competitions? Oh, I guarantee they do. But you probably yeah. shouldn't tell me about them. I probably shouldn't. Because that would be harder to get you for the podcast. No kidding. Okay. Uh, check out our Board Game Geek podcast page. And if you have any suggestions, questions, or ideas for discussion topics, please email cardboardtime at gmail.com. And as always, thanks again for listening. And we'll see you again in two weeks for another episode of Cardboard Time. 